Jesus said in Matthew 28 verse 19, Go therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Welcome to Go Teach All Nations, bringing you Christ's teachings through Australian and international speakers. And here is today's presenter, Pastor Eamon Burdett. I'd like you to open your Bibles to Ezekiel chapter 8. So in Ezekiel 8, we're going to start in verse 1, and I'm going to just, I'm not going to read the whole verses, but I'm going to take you through, you'll get it by the time we go through it. And the Bible says, uh, in the verse 1, we see the hand of God comes upon Ezekiel. Then the next verse, God appears before Ezekiel like a fire. And often fire represents God in the Bible. And then in the third verse, it's an interesting verse, he picks him up by the lock of the air and by the spirit he suspends him and he takes him to places of God's kingdom that he wants Ezekiel to see. He takes him to the north gate of the inner court where there is this seat of the image of jealousy. And this image, this pagan image is right in the gate of the temple, God's temple. It was an altar to a pagan god. But it gets worse in verse 7. God says, son of man, do you see what they are doing? The great abominations that are happening in the house of Israel, what Israel is committing. And they turn away and, and God actually said, they are sending me far from my sanctuary. It is breaking God's heart so much that he can't be there. And then he said to Ezekiel, now turn and you'll see even worse than this. And so God brings Ezekiel to the door of the court in the temple. And God says, son of man, I want you to dig into that wall. Dig into that wall. And as Ezekiel does this, there was a door in that wall. And God says to Ezekiel, I want you to go in and I want you to see the wickedness that is happening inside the temple. And Ezekiel goes in and he sees it like God would see in that side, that temple. He sees all these creeping things and all these beasts are all lined up along the walls inside the temple. And there stood before them 70 elders of Israel. And the Bible said they had censers in their hands and they were worshipping their idols right in the temple of God inside the house of God. And as the Lord and Ezekiel are taking in this scene, as they're looking upon it, the 70 elders are saying that the Lord does not see us. The Lord has forsaken us. He has left us. That's what the elders are saying. Then God says in verse 13, Ezekiel, it gets even worse than this. And then he sees woman who are weeping for the goddess called Tammuz, which was a pagan goddess for fertility and for war. Imagine God saying to Ezekiel, these are my people. These are not heathens. These are not pagans or Gentile people. These are my people. And then God says to Ezekiel, it even gets worse than this. And so God takes Ezekiel to the inner court and God's people had their backs to the temple of God, their backs to the sanctuary 
and they're bowing down and they're worshipping the sun. 25 men were worshipping the sun. This is the omega of apostasy in Ezekiel's day. Worshipping the sun, not in a pagan temple, but not in a temple of Baal, but in the temple of the living God. It is so serious that in the next chapter, chapter 9 of Ezekiel, that God orders the angel that all the faithful who are crying over the abominations that are happening there in Israel shall be marked or sealed to spare them. And so we see a picture here of what Revelation 14 warns us about in the future. God's people are marked or they're sealed from the coming destruction. Then the angel of the Lord goes out and slays the rest of the people who weren't marked or sealed. Just like Revelation 14 warns us, there was no pity and mercy for those who rejected God and his grace in those days. Saints, it's deadly serious. It's not Sesame Street. It's not just about life and death. It's about eternal things. Here we see Babylon or Babylon's teachings in Ezekiel's day. Babylon, ancient Babylon, is the centre of man-made worship. They built the Tower of Babel trying to save themselves in case there was another flood. And so that, that tower represents their own works, trying to save themselves from their own works. Babylon is also the centre of image worship. All systems of idolatry flow back. Those rivers of, uh, those rivers of systems of teaching go back to ancient Babylon. It is also the centre of false teaching about the immortality of the soul, that we don't die when we die. And that has crept into the church through the back door. It was a pagan concept that was adopted by the Pharisees. It was picked up by the Dark Age Church Rome, and then it filtered out through most of the Protestant churches in recent history. It's not a Bible teaching. It's an ancient pagan teaching called Teutonic dualism, the mind and body dualism. In other words, when we die, our spirit leaves us. It's not a Bible teaching. This is a pagan teaching. Babylon was also the centre of sun worship. We see here the retention of the old pagan name, Diasolus, for Sunday, meaning Sunday, is a great, in a great measure owing to the union of pagan and Christian sentiment, with which the first day of the week was recommended by Constantine to his subjects, to pagans and Christians alike, the venerable day of the sun. And so when we see this picture of Constantine, his Roman emperor, he had a great number of pagans, he has a great number of Christians, and all the emperors before him from Rome were slaughtering the Christians. But the more they slaughtered these Christians, the more the church grew. Amen? They said that blood was the seed of the church. And so Constantine changed his tact. He joins these two groups together. He merges the pagans in with the Christians. And the problem was that instead of the church were converting the pagans, the paganism flooded into the church of God with all their paganism coming with them almost they were Christians in name only the gospel then began to lose its power 
across the world. As always, with every merger, whether it's spiritual, whether it's a company, when you have two groups come together, one group becomes more powerful than the other. Amen? It always happens. One side always dominates the other side. Dr. E.T. Hisko, author of the Baptist Manual, talking about worshipping on Sunday, he reflects, what a pity that Sunday comes branded with a mark of paganism. That Christian with the name of the sun god and accepted and sanctified by the papal apostasy and then picked up by Protestants as sacred. Dr. Hisko, the Baptist writer, the writer of the Baptist manual, he realised where this Sunday worship came from originally. And he's saying, what a pity that has all his history attached to it. Father in heaven, we ask for the Holy Spirit to touch us, to give us understanding, Lord. And Lord, we know that this is all true. We know that as we look at the Word of God, as we look at the Bible, as we look at the history of this earth, we read it like an open book. Impress our minds and our hearts this morning to know this, to understand this, and to live this, to stand for you, to stand for what is true and right. And all too often, Lord, we don't want to give up things because we see that it's not convenient, that it's not easy. But Father, we pray that we will abide under the shadow of the Almighty, that we will be touched by your Holy Spirit, that we will listen to the small, still voice, that we will accept your word as the living word of God, that we will understand, Lord, that life and death hangs in the balance, that these little decisions now will become massive decisions in the future. Help us to be true and faithful to you, not by our own strength, well, only the strength that only you can give. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 2,000 years ago, in Matthew 16, verse 18, Jesus was talking to Peter and his disciples, and he said, Upon this rock, pointing to himself, I will build my church. Upon this patra, upon this rock of ages, I will stake my church. And according to Jesus, he has a church upon earth. And even as we look amongst the thousands of denominations we have today in the world, we see this word remnant coming up time and time again in the word of God. Noah was called out of the ancient world of wickedness into the ark of God. Amen? Abraham was called out of Ur from his family from his country. Moses and the children of Israel were called out of Egypt into the promised land. Ezra and the remnant were called back to Jerusalem. The early church was a remnant that was empowered by grace, called by grace. And these last days, God says to us, come out of Babylon, my people. The Bible says, and the dragon was wroth with the woman. And he went off to make war with the remnant of her seed, which keep the commandments of God and has a testimony of Jesus Christ. I want to share with you this morning, I thought about this this morning, has the devil identified the remnant fold? 
According to the Bible here, God knows, I mean, Satan knows which church is God's church. He has identified who they are. The enemy is exceedingly angry with these people who keep God's commandments, who have a testimony of Jesus Christ. And today, when we think about it, there are more than 33,000 denominations in the world, Christian churches. And yet Jesus said, when he was praying just before he went on the cross, he says that they may what? That they all may be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you. That they may also be one in us, that the world may believe that you have sent me. Paul confirms this when he said there is one body and there is one spirit just as you are called into the one hope of your calling. There is one Lord, there is one faith, there is one baptism, one God and one Father of all. The church also compared in the Bible as a body. For there is, the body is one and there has many members. But all the members of that one body, being many, are one body, are also of Christ. For, one, for by one spirit we have all been baptised into one body, whether we're Jews or Greeks, whether we're slave or free, we all have been made to drink of that one spirit. And then Paul goes on that there should, be no more, there should be no divisions amongst God's church. And so today there are many reasons why we might go to church. It may be that our family has been in this church for generations. It may be that we love the music. It may be that it's a beautiful cathedral, it's the most beautiful building. It may be a good church for my family. But God calls us to gather together to worship him in spirit and truth. Amen? That's the right reason to have a place of worship. The Bible says when it comes to the second coming, notice what, what's said here by Paul. He says, as the days approach, and talking about the second coming, don't forsake the assembling of ourselves together as a matter of some, but exhorting or encourage one another, and so much more as you see the day of Jesus coming. So it's very important that this happens. The Bible predicts that after the first apostles died out, that trouble would come for God's church. Paul, realising this, Luke expands upon it. He said, therefore, take heed to yourselves and all the flock, all the church, to shepherd the church of God, for I know this. They knew that this was coming, that after my departure, what? Savage wolves will come in amongst you, not sparing the flock. Also from among yourselves, men will rise up speaking perverse things to draw away disciples after themselves. Compromise, corruption, begins to come into God's dark age church. In Revelation, we see this beautiful woman or chaste woman, and the Bible says it's a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with a sun, with a moon under her feet, and on her head a garland of 12 stars. Then being with child, she cried out in labour in pain to give birth. She is clothed with the glory of Christ. She stands on the Old Testament, that's what the moon represents. She has a 12-star garland on her head. That represents the 12 disciples, Jesus building that church upon himself. She bears a child that's going to rule all the nations. Paul says, husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved 
the church. The church of God is the apple of his eye. That's the one thing that he loved and he centers his attention upon in this world today. I want to tell you this morning that you are all greatly loved. Amen? That you are all greatly loved. Christ loves his people, his church. Amen? Christ loves you. For I have betrothed you, I have engaged you to one husband, that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. So in Revelation we see these two churches. There's a beautiful church, a pure church in Revelation 12, and then we see the unfaithful woman or the unfaithful church in Revelation 17. The other woman or church is unfaithful to God. She has other lovers. She's not faithful to Christ and his word especially. The Bible says to identify this, modern Babylon or spiritual Babylon, she carried me away in the spirit into the wilderness and I saw a woman which represents a church sitting on a scarlet beast which is full of names, blasphemy, having seven heads and ten horns. This woman was arrayed in what? Purple and scarlet and adorned with gold. And it had precious stones and pearls, having in her hand a golden cup full of abominations and filthiness of a fornication. Here we see a church that has the colours of purple, scarlet and gold. She is a wealthy church from this verse. She's adorned with gold, precious stones and pearls. And it's very interesting this morning that in the Old Testament, the high priest had four main colours. What are they? They were purple, they were scarlet, and they were gold and blue. Just remember those four colours. I'm going to bring it back in a minute. The, Bible, the verse continues. And on her forehead with a name written, Mystery Babylon the Great, the mother of what? of harlots and of the abomination of the earth. I saw the woman was drunk with the blood of saints and with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. And when I saw her, I marveled with great amazement. And so she is a mother church. She has daughters. She is a persecuting church. She is drunk with the blood of the saints through the ages. Saints, here we see the colours that John, beloved, saw a thousand years before this church even comes into being. But there is one colour missing. Blue is missing. And blue was very important for the Old Testament priests because blue on their garments reminded the priests that the Lord of God were holy. That blue on their, on their garments reminded them that God's laws were holy and were important to be kept. It was the holiness of God's law. Remember, the Bible is a great deception detector. Incredibly accurate. Blue is not to be seen anywhere amongst this church. She also had a golden cup full of abominations and filthiness of her fornication. Notice on these coins, they have a woman standing there. And like the rising sun, you notice here on these back sides of these coins. She has a woman on some of the coins when it comes to her claim to be the mother of churches, this is from their mouths, it must always be clear that one holy Catholic apostolic universal church is not the universal church, Catholic means universal, is not the sister, but the mother of all the churches, the Cardinal said. This is back in 2000. The Bible says that this is a city of seven hills. Rome is known as a city of seven hills or seven mountains. 
Here is a mind which has wisdom. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman or the church sits. She is also a city that rules over the kings. She has great power. The Bible says, and the woman you saw is that great city which reigns over the kings of the earth. In other words, the kings are not ruling over the church. The church is ruling over the kings through the ages. Saints, the remnant church, I thought about this week. The remnant church stands upon the platform of Bible truth. Amen? That's what the remnant church stands upon. And then I thought about what the Bible's predicting, that this unfaithful uh, woman or this Babylon system will stand, will unite the world on error or false teachings, compromise. The dragon tries to take out Christ right from the start, before he even started his ministry. And the dragon stood before the woman, the church, and was ready to give birth. She was ready to give birth to her, and then before to devour her child as soon as it was born. She bore a male child who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron and her child was caught up to God and his throne. So right from the start, King Herod was inspired to take the life of Christ. But the Bible says the woman fled into the wilderness where there was a place prepared by God that she should be there for 1,260 days. Now when the dragon saw this, that he had been cast to the earth, that he persecuted the woman who gave birth to the male child Christ. But the woman, the Bible said, was given two great wings of an eagle that she might fly into the wilderness to, to a place where she is known for a time, times and half a time, which is three and a half years, meaning 1260 days, which means 1260 years from the presence of the serpent. And so we see this time period comes up seven times in the Bible in Revelation and in Daniel. The 1260 literal years of the dark age of papal supremacy from 538 to 1798. Towards the end of this period of time, many reformers were rising up to challenge this mother church, this Roman church, to go back to the word of God, to, to uplift the word of God and move away from the traditions of men. Return to the Bible alone. And so God still had many devout followers of Christ in this system. In fact, many of the reformers came out of this system. So this is a system, it's not a soul. Amen? This is an institution, it's not an individual. This is a power that God talks about, it's not a person. It's very, very important that we see it the way that God sees it. So there was called for reformation way back in the 14th century, started with John Wycliffe, the morning star of the Reformation. Then the next century we see John Huss, who was burnt at the stake right there in Germany. I've been to the very roundabout where he was burnt at the stake in Germany. Then in the 16th century came Martin Luther, and he said that the just shall live by faith. Amen? Just live by faith. And he taught... The Bible alone and saved by grace alone. That's what I love about the Lutheran church. And then we saw John Calvin comes along and he helped the Reformed church, he helped the Presbyterian church and uh, he, he, he loved to teach about how God is sovereign 
and that we have security and assurance of salvation in Christ alone. Amen? That's where we have it. And then John Smith comes along, an Anglican minister who left England in 1607, baptised by immersion the next year in 1608, and Smith followers set up the first Baptist church in 1612, a few years later. And what I love about Baptists and the Anabaptists is that they were baptised by full immersion. Amen? Then along came another one called John Wesley, who had a very long ministry. And what I like about the Methodists is that he taught about holiness of living in Christ. In fact, each day there was bricks, there was eggs, there was rotten tomatoes thrown at him because he said that we needed to live a holy life and the people did not like to hear it. In fact, when he thought one nothing was thrown at him, he used to think, well, what have I done wrong, God? How come there's been no rotten eggs today or tomatoes or rocks thrown at me? And so we see that he brought about sanctification and to live a holy life before God and the world. We see that through history, as the Dark Ages errors came in, that God was restoring this truth with each new group. It was built on the discoveries of previous groups. But truth doesn't stand still. Truth keeps moving forward. If we don't accept it, truth marches on. Amen? And that's what we see in the Great Reformation. God was using these people bit by bit, bit by bit, but if they stopped growing in truth, God had to raise up a new group of people. So saints, after the deadly wound of 1798, after the 1200 Dark Age period, we come to this period where there's this great revival in the 1800s that the book of Daniel would open up. People were studying the book of Daniel, particularly after a deadly wound in 1798. We saw scholars, this is all over the world, we saw priests, ministers, lay people of all denominations, Roman Catholic, Anglican, Methodist, Baptist, Presbyterians, they began to study the book of Daniel especially. Revelation 10 tells us that the, that, that book was open, wasn't it? The angels had the book was open. This is talking about the book of Daniel. They discovered the sealed portions of the book of Daniel. Saints 8, 14, we've talked about before. Daniel 8, verse 14 was a, was a key verse. The 2,003-day prophecy, year prophecy, for 2,300 days, then the sanctuary shall be cleansed or restored. In other words, God said that all these truths that have been lost are now going to be restored to fullness. William Miller was a fascinating character. He was a Baptist farmer. He was a deist for a long time. He studied the book of Daniel for 13 years, particularly the entire Bible, actually, but particularly the book of Daniel. That verse, uh, 8.14, was a key verse. I remember the story of a reporter coming to the house of William Miller, the daughter was home, and the reporter said, I want to see William Miller's library. And the daughter took him upstairs, and it was just a Bible and a concordance. That was his entire Bible, his library in his house. He studied the Bible for over 10 years. He needed a Bible back to front. And so this group, as they studied, all these different people, was an interdenominational group coming out of all different churches, and they believed that Jesus would return before, or on the date of 22nd of October, 1844. There was actually a date before that, but that was the second date that was set. William Miller himself did not want to set a date, but his movement wanted to set the date. 
And he was an old man when he started preaching. He was 50 years old when he started preaching. He didn't want to preach. But God told him he needs to. And when we look at this Northeast America, where all this is happening, particularly in Northeast America, they came from at least 13 different denominations as they were studying the book of Daniel, particularly the Northeast part of USA. But on the 22nd of October, 1844, Jesus did not return. And then came what we know as a great disappointment. And so 50,000 people came down to just a few hundred people. But that little group, remember, was an interdenominational group. They came together, they gathered around the Word of God, they studied the Word of God, they knew that the date was right, but the event was wrong. They knew that something was happening that was significant, but they didn't know what had happened at that time, on that date. And so these people became known as Millerites or Adventists, not Seventh-day Adventists, but Millerites or Adventists, the church before our church. Remember? It was after the disappointment that they understood that the sanctuary being cleansed was this truth in heaven being restored. In heaven, this truth was happening, not on the earth. William Miller thought that the earth was going to be cleansed, but in fact the Bible was saying that the heavenly sanctuary in heaven was being cleansed on that day. Jesus' ministry was going from the holy into the most holy part of the sanctuary, the last days of the judgment. Saints, when you look at all the dates, remember that 2,300-day prophecy and the 70 weeks of the 490-year prophecy on the Jews starts at the same date, 457 BC. Remember Jesus is cut off in the middle of the week, the last seven years, in the middle of that one week, and he's, baptism, he's baptised right on time, he dies right on time, and Stephen is staying right on time. And so you add all these years up when you get to 1844, 2,300 years, then the sanctuary shall be cleansed or the truth shall be restored. Very, very important. So this group of people who weren't seven-day Adventists, who became Adventists later, seven-day Adventists I should say later, they studied the Bible, amen? They embraced the truth that was discovered by the Calvins, that was discovered by the Baptists, that was discovered by the Anglicans and the Methodists. All those great men of God and women of God, they discovered all those truths that were in the Word of God and they kept those truths. Amen? They kept those truths. There were other godly people that God raised up and they rediscovered other Bible truths that had still been lost, that were still dusty and misunderstood. And this is what I like about our church. When I read the history of our church, I can see the hand of God moving through history and why our movement came a reality in the world today. Because they studied the word of God, they embraced those truths they discovered by other people, they rediscovered the other Bible truths and they eventually became Seventh-day Adventists. 1863 was a year we were officially at a church. And what I like about Seventh-day Adventists, this is just some of the teachings, that they believe in the visible return of Jesus Christ. Amen? That is the most important, that is the most talked about topic in the entire Bible. Who here believes in the Seventh-day Sabbath? Who believes in the Seventh-day Sabbath? That means you're a Sabbath keeper. You're Seventh-day Adventist. 
Because you believe in the second advent as well, don't you? And see, even our name, when you think about it, our name, Seventh-day Adventist, reminds the world that we believe in the seventh day to God of creation and that we believe in the second coming and Jesus will be here soon. So we believe that there will be a visible return of Jesus Christ. We believe that judgment has begun. It started in 1844. Jesus' ministry had shifted gears into the last stage, that death is asleep. William Miller's daughter believed, just like we do, that death was asleep. So William Miller used to call his daughter a sleepy Christian. Ah, you're a sleepy Christian. You believe that death is asleep. We also have a global mission. In the last 13 to 15 years, our church has grown by over 1 million people every single year until the pandemic hit. Over 1 million that is about 3,100 people every single day are being baptised in the seven day This is a global movement. In fact, when we look at all the 33,000 denominations, there are only two global churches on the planet. First is the Mother Church, the Catholic Church, and the second church is the Seventh-day Adventist Church. We have a presence in over 200 countries in the world already today. The only reason we're not in there is other countries quite often because we're not allowed in there because of Islam or whatever. This church, this movement, will also have the three angels' message, the last message to the world, very, very important message that God has given this church. It doesn't make us more special. It makes us responsible to share that message. Amen? It's a very important message. The three angels' message preaches the everlasting gospel to the world, to worship him who created the heavens, the earth and the seas, to fear God and give him glory, amen, to give him all the glory, to remind the world that he is coming soon. The Bible says here is the patience of the saints. Here are those who keep the commandments of God, who have the faith of Jesus. In fact, this remnant fold should look like the apostolic church. It should teach the same things that that first apostolic church taught. It should have the same teachings that Jesus taught. They should be able to identify the first and the last church, just like that. And the dragon had identified this church. How is it that so many of God's people can't identify this church, but the dragon identifies this church? God identifies this church, which keeps the commandments of God who have the testimony of Jesus Christ. The Bible says in Revelation 19 that the testimony of Jesus Christ is a spirit of prophecy. And we will study about that in a few weeks. There are six identifying characteristics that God's end time church has as a remnant church. They keep all of God's commandments, number one. They don't keep nine, they don't keep seven, they keep all of God's commandments. They teach it and they live it. They also have the faith of Jesus, amen? They had the faith of Jesus, very, very critical. They walk and talk and sound like Jesus. They live like Jesus. They proclaim the three angels' message to the world. And with that comes responsibility as a pastor and as members, as parents. It is a global movement. 
It is one of the fastest growing churches upon planet Earth today. It is a global movement. It emerges after 1798. It can't be a church that emerged in the 15th century. It happens after the 1260-year period. This church comes up after that period of time. It has the gift of prophecy amongst it, within them. Saints, there is only one church that has all those identifying marks. And that is the Seventh-day Adventist Church. One might think, but I thought God's remnant was made up from people from everywhere. The, the SDA church is the most global movement alongside the mother church. It has members from every tribe, tongue, nation and people. The church does not claim to be filled with perfect people. Amen? It's true. The pastor is not even perfect. But they follow a perfect saviour. Amen? A perfect saviour in heaven. God has raised up this remnant movement calling people back to God, back to his divine word, back to his holy laws. And notice what one Catholic source says. They say the question, is the Bible the only rule or God of the Protestants for observing Sunday? Protestants? No. I believe that Seventh-day Adventists are the only ones who know the Bible in a matter of Sabbath observance. This is coming from them. The church has changed the observance of the Sabbath to Sunday by the right of her divine. This is the Catholic Church talking about themselves. By the right of their divine, infallible authority given to them by the founder, Jesus Christ. Now, we would contest that as seven of Venice. The Protestants claiming that uh, the Bible to be the only God of their faith has no warrant for observing Sunday. In this matter, the Seventh-day Adventists are the only consistent Protestants. This is the Catholic Church saying. It's not what we're saying. It's not what the other Protestant churches are saying. This is the Mother Church saying that the only consistent Protestant church on planet Earth is the Seventh-day Adventist church. City Books, one of our great African-American preachers, he said this, this is the most simple way to understand why there's so many different churches on planet Earth. Why are there so many different churches with so many different teachings? And this is what City Books said. There are so many different churches because they accept and reject the word of God in various degrees. Amen? Do you get that? They accept and they reject the word of God in various degrees. That's why there's so many different churches. Very simple. The challenge issued by Rome 100 years ago remains either the Catholic Church is right or the Seventh-day Adventist Church is right. There can be no other choice. And if one chooses neither, then the whole doctrine of sola scripture, in other words, everything you believe comes out of here, and with it the pillar upon which all Protestants stand. Protestants means protest what the Mother Church was teaching. Protest against the false teachings or man's teachings or the traditional teachings. Protesting with the Bible truth. That's what it means. And this one here is incredible. 1995. People who think that the scriptures should be the only sole authority should logically become what? 
Seventh-day Adventist and keep Saturday holy. This is not what we're saying. This is what the Catholic Church says. If you believe the Bible as your only rule of faith, then logically you should be a Seventh-day Adventist. And if you believe the second advent of Jesus, if you believe the seventh day of the Sabbath, then you already are a seventh-day Adventist. In this message to the Pope, he appealed for the unity of Christian churches, saying that there should be one flock and there should be one shepherd. And there should be, but not on their terms, but on the Bible's terms. The Bible says, and I heard another voice from heaven, saying, Come out of her, my people, lest you share in her sins, unless you receive of her plagues. If we cling to Babylonian teachings, we share in her sins and we will receive of her plagues. I was brought up in yesterday church, but I left for 16 years. I had to leave Babylon. I had to leave paganism. I had to give up my Babylonian, pagan, heathen teachings to become a seven-day Adventist. Amen? God calls us out of that kind of lifestyle, that kind of teachings, because Babylon's not going to be converted. Do you realise that? Bible's warning us that Babylon will not and cannot and will not be converted. Babylon is going to be destroyed and all that's with it. And that's why God says, come out of her, my people. That's the only way out. That's the only safe course. And you think about Jesus in his ministry. He'd already started this. He had sheep everywhere. He said, and other sheep I have which are not of this fold, and then also I must bring out. They will hear my voice, and there shall be how many flocks? There shall be one flock, and there shall be only one true shepherd. Saints, I want to share a story with you this morning. Bishop David Hill was laying on the beach one day. He was nearly retired. And he was really happy because he had raised up many pastors for the Church of the Living God. He had raised up many churches. He had a membership of over 300 members in his own church. He was a very successful African-American preacher in the United States of America. And he was very content. But one day he went to church, and this lady, this faithful member in his Sunday-keeping church, had a dream. And she saw two lines of people. She saw that one line had a banner of Sunday on it. And the line was unnumbered. You couldn't number how many people were in that line. It was endless. And then she saw another banner with Sabbath written on it. And that line only had a few people. And so she asked the Lord in a dream, Lord, why are there so many in that group and not many in that group? And she said, you go and ask your pastor, David Bishop, your Bishop David Hill. And so for one whole year, she struggled about this question whether to ask God. It was driving her insane. And after one year, she couldn't stand it anymore. She got up at the end of the service, just like this. She said, Pastor, Bishop David Hill, can you show me from the Bible where it says that we should worship on Sunday and how it went from Sabbath to Sunday? Can you show it to me? And she said, he said, Sister, I'll give you a service next Sunday on it. You know what? He went that week. And God took off 
his denominational glasses. And every verse that he had been preaching for 43 years, he saw in its true context. He couldn't make up the sermon. And so he went back to the church and said, Sister, church, just give me some more time on this one. Give me a bit more time. And so for the next few months, he brought every book on Sabbath keeping alongside his Bible and he studied this out, he studied this out and he came to the conclusion, I have been preaching a lie for 43 years. Can you imagine it? Can you imagine being a pastor teaching a lie for 43 years? And so he said to his wife, what are we going to do? She said, it's a no-brainer. We can't find it in the Word of God. We have to be faithful to God. Amen? We've got to be faithful to God. And so they confronted their church on a nice Sunday. And he got up and said, people, I have been preaching a lie for 43 years. They loved their pastor, man. They loved him. They said, pastor, it's only a day. It's just a day, pastor. They were crying. They were weeping. They were beside themselves. He said, no. My wife and I, we're going to stand for God on this one. We're going to stand for God. The whole church went with him. The whole church went with him. But you know what happened? Because in that Pentecostal church of over 600,000 members, they owned the house. They used to give you a Cadillac. They used to pay you a nice wage. They'd pay for all your medical things in America, which is very, very important. The police came to his house. Now, before that, his leadership rang him and said, what's this foolishness that we hear you preached last Sunday? They heard about his message. What's this foolishness about Sunday worship? He told them the whole story. And he said, they said to him, his leadership said to him, you go and tell that sister to turn on your TV, to turn on your radio, to look on Sunday and to ask her the question, what day do people go in the church to? What day is it? He said, okay, I can tell her that, but I want you to show me from the Bible why I'm worshipping on Sunday. Tell me why I worship on Sunday. Why are we? And they said, stop your foolishness. Behave yourself. And so after that, the police came. They towed his car away. They had a warrant to throw him out of the house. He had no car. He had no money anymore. He had no house. He had the clothes. They threw it out on the sidewalk. And then he went to war with that church. And he brought 14,000 of those church members into our church and became a Seventh-day Adventist. Our church was connected by then to start helping him to find a house. Saints, are we willing to give up everything for Christ? Whether it's the Sabbath or any other thing, are we willing to give up everything for him? This story is 20, 30 years old. Because in the future, we're going to go through what Bishop, Dill, Bishop Hill went through. We are on a global scale. On a global scale. Live or die, sink or swim, they were faithful to God. That was their motto. Amen? May we be faithful like him. May God bless you all. A couple of little questions I want to...
just show of you. If you believe this, maybe you stand with me. I want to be part of God's remnant church. Amen? I want to be, stand with me if you really want to believe that. You want to keep being part of God's remnant church? Please stand. If you want to be part of God's church, stand for him. I recognise that God's church will keep all of God's commandments. Amen? God will keep all of his commandments by his grace. By his grace. I want to be loyal to God and his word and to keep his Sabbath. Amen? I want to be loyal to God. Amen? A lot of times we look at convenience. We look at losing our friends, our church, our network, our job. But that's not the big picture. The big picture is Jesus Christ. Amen? That's the big picture. I want to follow Jesus and prepare for baptism. We'll continue to be faithful to Jesus Christ. Amen. This message was made available by the Victoria Park Seventh-day Adventist Church. For more resources like this, visit their YouTube page, Vic Park SDA Church. This is Fountain View Academy singing The Church Has One Foundation.
Though with a scornful wonder Men see her sore oppressed Though foes would rend asunder The rock where she doth rest Yet saints their faith are keeping Enjoy the short presentation of how God led His people after the Reformation from lineagejourney.com. For a long time, the health work has been heavily promoted in our church and central to our evangelistic strategy. Reports today speak of the Adventist Blue Zones and note how Seventh-day Adventists live between six and eight years longer than the rest of the population. The rates of disease such as cancer and heart disease are significantly lower than the rest of the population and some diseases such as lung cancer are almost non-existent. How did this come to be? Was it luck? Was it chance? Or was it something greater than that? In 1863 in Otsego, Michigan, Ellen White was given her health vision where she was shown things that were way ahead of the medical practices of her time. For example, she was shown that tobacco was a slow, insidious, and most malignant poison, common knowledge to us today. Yet in her time, the medical wisdom would have prescribed or at least not deterred you from using tobacco should you have any throat or lung issues. It wasn't until a hundred years later when the Surgeon General of the United States finally condemned the use of tobacco. The vision was very broad in scope and encouraged holistic health and natural preventative medicine. Whilst there is always a need for acute care, preventative medicine seeks to prevent as much as possible disease in the body. Under Ellen White's guidance, they set up a health institute called the Western Health Reform Institute. Dr. John Harvey Kellogg, today most famous for the world-renowned breakfast cereals that he invented, became the director of this institute at the young age of 24. 
John Harvey Kellogg attended some of the best medical schools in his day. The University Medical School in Ann Arbor, Michigan, and the New York University Medical College at Bellevue Hospital in New York City. He graduated in 1875 and would go on to be one of the leading doctors in the United States, treating both the rich and famous as well as those less fortunate. He changed the name to the Battle Creek Health Sanitarium. Sanitarium is a twist on the word sanatorium, which was a health resort for invalid soldiers. Replacing the O with an A, he thus created a new word for the English language. He would go on to pioneer some of the best medical practices of his day and invent some ingenious machines that were the forerunners of much of the modern equipment you'll see today in a gym, such as this rowing machine and Gripmaster. Many of these were on the Titanic when it set sail for use by its wealthy passengers. The sanitarium would start out as a great witness to the message that God had given, but it would later veer off track. Unfortunately today, this message has often been neglected. And while many recognize that we do have a message and understand the truth and validity of it, many people do not live up to what they know about health. The health work was created to be the right arm. It was to assist the gospel, not to be isolated on its own, but to work harmoniously together. Healthy living was not to be an end in itself but its purpose was to work with the gospel, creating an opening wedge to people's hearts. May we implement these principles first in our lives and then also in the churches we are a part of as we witness to the communities we live in. view more episodes in the series, visit lineagejourney.com. It's been our pleasure bringing you this program today here on 3ABN Australia Radio.